Once upon a time and welcome to the Story Story Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Ann Harding, and I have some stories for you. This podcast is the place to hear traditional stories told by some of the best storytellers in the world. This podcast will take you to long ago and far away and will bring you back safely. I have two stories for you today. The first one is by storyteller Megan Hicks, and she has a way with words. At her warm sense of humor and deep respect for anybody who is now or ever was a kid, and you've got an award-winning performer who captivates audiences of all ages and from all walks of life. Her credits range from small venues in rural America to regional stages throughout the United States and international programs on three continents. Her performance and presentation draw praises wherever she goes, and she takes her love of whimsy with her as she creates new stories and adaptations. So I'm excited to present this story of hers. This is Molly Whoopi. Once upon a time, way off back in the woods, there lived a woodcutter and his wife who had so many children, they could not afford to feed them all. So they took the three youngest, all girls, into the woods and left them there to fend for themselves. Those little girls wandered all day, lost, hungry, alone. They had no idea where they would sleep that night. But just as the sun began to sink... They saw the lights of a cottage shining through the trees. They made their way to the cottage and knocked on the door. An enormously tall woman answered the door, and when she saw those three little girls, her eyes grew wide with alarm. She said, "'Children, be off with you now, quickly! Don't you know my old man's a giant? He eats all the children he finds. He'll be home any moment now. You must be gone before he gets here.' "'Oh, please, ma'am,' said the little girls. "'We've been walking all day and haven't had a bite to eat. "'Before you send us on our way, could you spare us a crust of bread?' "'The woman took pity on them. "'She brought them inside, sat them down by the fire, "'and fed them each a big bowl of soup and a big hunk of bread. "'Those little girls were just cleaning the last of their soup "'from their bowls with the last bits of bread when... In the door came the giant. He stood still a second, sniffing the air. Then he said, Fee for fum. I smell the blood of an earthly one. What do you have there, wife? She said, It's just three little girls from the forest. They were lost and hungry, so I fed them, and now I'm just sending them on their way. You sit down and eat your own dinner. You leave them alone. Well, the giant sat down and ate his meal. But he would not quit looking at those little girls while he ate, and he would not let them leave. The giant insisted that they stay that night with his own three daughters up in the loft. Now the youngest of these little girls was also the cleverest and the bravest. Her name was Molly Wuppy. Molly noticed that as the giant's daughters were getting themselves ready for bed, the giant came up behind them and fastened a golden chain around their necks. Around Molly's and her sister's necks, he tied straw cords. Then all those little girls jumped into the big bed. The giant blew out the candle, and Molly heard him creak down the ladder and make his way to his own room. 
Molly decided that it would be a wise thing if she were to stay awake that night and keep her wits about her. So there she lay with her eyes wide open. As soon as she heard everybody in the house breathing softly and steadily, she knew they were all asleep. She carefully swapped the gold chains around the giant's daughter's necks with the straw cords that she and her sisters wore, so that now Molly and her sisters had the gold chains and the giant's daughters had the straw cords. Then she lay back once more, listening. Presently, she heard the giant's heavy footfall coming from down the hall. She heard the ladder creak under his weight as he climbed to the loft, and in the moonlight she saw the giant reach out and touch each little girl on the neck. If he felt a gold chain, he left that little girl to sleep. If he felt straw, that little girl he put into a big gunny sack and tied it shut. When he had three sacks full, he slung them over his shoulder and climbed back down the ladder. Molly could hear the giant chuckle to himself and mutter, (laughs) Breakfast. She decided it was time she and her sisters were out of there. So quietly, she woke them up, and very quietly, they tied the sheets together and hung them out the window. Molly and her sisters climbed down those sheets, and when their feet hit the forest floor, they ran. They ran, and they ran, and they ran until morning. Just as the sun came up over the trees, they stepped into a clearing in the middle of which stood a huge castle. Towers and turrets and a wide moat with a drawbridge, and at the end of the drawbridge, a gatehouse. Molly stepped into the gatehouse and told the gatekeeper that if he could arrange for her to see the king, she would tell the king a story he would not soon forget. Molly was shown before the king, and she told him about how she and her sisters had escaped from the house of the giant. The king was impressed. "'Molly Whoopie,' he said. "'You are a clever girl, and a brave one, too, and you've managed very well. I wonder, could you manage even better? The giant stole my sword from me.' He keeps it on a chain hanging from two large hooks right above his bed. Molly, if you could steal it back for me, I'd let your eldest sister marry my eldest son. Molly said, well, I can try. So that night, Molly Wuppy went back to the house of the giant. She hid behind a door until she heard everyone breathing softly, and she knew they were asleep. Then she crept down the hall into the room where the giant slept. Just as the king had told her, there above the giant's bed hung that sword. Molly stood on tiptoe to reach it. Carefully, carefully, she freed it from the hooks. She held it close against herself and turned to tiptoe away. When the chain clanked and woke the giant... He opened his eyes to see Molly Whoopi standing in his room with the sword he stole. Well, Molly didn't waste any time. She ran and he ran, she ran and he ran, till they came to the bridge of one hair, which Molly could cross, but the giant could not. And from his side of the bridge, the giant shook his fist and called out to her, "'Woe to you, Molly Whoopi! Never you come again!' Molly held the sword high over her head, rattled the chain at him, and shouted, Twice more, churl, 
I'll come to Spain. She took the sword to the king. He was delighted. And that very night, Molly's eldest sister married the king's eldest son. At the wedding feast, the king told her, Molly Whuppie, you're a clever girl and a brave one. Oh, you've managed very well. I wonder, could you manage even better? The giant sleeps with a purse of gold beneath his pillow. Molly, if you can get that gold for me, I would let your middle sister marry my middle son. Molly said, well, I can try. So that night, she went back to the house of the giant. She hid until everyone was asleep. And then she went into the giant's room and crept over to his bed. Carefully, she pushed her hand under his pillow, and yes, she could feel a soft leather bag heavy with gold coins. Molly pulled that leather purse slowly, slowly out from under the giant's head. She had it in her hands and turned to go when the coins clanked and woke the giant. Well, she ran and he ran, she ran and he ran, until they came to the bridge of one hair, which Molly could cross, but the giant could not. And on his side of the bridge, the giant shook his fist at her and shouted, Woe to you, Molly Whuppie, never you come again. She held the coins high over her head and called back, Once more, churl, I'll come to Spain. Molly took those gold coins to the king, and he was delighted. That very evening, her middle sister married his middle son. At the wedding feast, the king said, Ah, oh, Molly, you are a clever girl, and a brave one, too, and you've managed very well. I wonder, could you manage even better? The giant wears a ruby ring on his little finger. Molly, if you can bring me that ring... I would let you marry my youngest son. Molly looked across the banquet hall at the youngest prince. He was smiling at her and nodding his head. Molly said, I'll try. So that night she went back to the house of the giant. When everyone was asleep, she crept down the hallway to the giant's room. He was snoring softly, and there was his huge hand lying on the pillow. And there was the ring on his fat, hairy finger. Molly tiptoed to the bed. Gently, she took hold of that ring. Carefully, carefully, she twisted and tugged and pulled, twisted and tugged and pulled, twisted, tugged, pulled, until finally she had the ring in her hand. She dropped it into her pocket and turned to tiptoe away when... The giant reached out and grabbed her by the collar and pulled her up close to his ugly face. And he said, Molly Whuppie, I have you now, and I will not let you go. So, huh, as you're so clever, as you're so smart, tell me something. If I had treated you as you have treated me, what would you do to me for revenge? Now, I told you Molly was clever. She thought for a moment, and this is what she told the giant. 
Why, I'd put you in one of your big gunny sacks with the dog, the cat, a needle thread, and a pair of scissors. Then I'd take that bag and hang it on a branch in one of the trees outside the door. Then I'd go into the forest and find the biggest stick I could carry. I'd take that bag out of the tree, put it on the ground, and with that stick I would beat you until you were bloody pulp. That's what I'd do to you if I could. Very well, clever girl, said the giant. That's what I shall do to you. So he put Molly in a big gunny sack with the dog, the cat, needle, thread, and scissors, and he hung it in a tree, and then he stomped off into the forest looking for the biggest stick he could carry. As soon as he was out of earshot, Molly started to sing a little song. She sang... Oh, the beautiful sights I see in the marvelous magical bag I'm in. Oh, the heavenly wonders in this marvelous magical bag. Over and over she sang. Inside the house, the giant's wife heard the song and she came out and she said, So it's a magical bag then, is it, Molly? I didn't know my husband had a magical bag. Oh, I'd like to see what you're seeing. Would you let me get into the bag, please, Molly? Molly, would you share? So with the scissors, Molly cut a hole in the bag. She helped the giant's wife get inside, and then with the needle and thread, she sewed the bag shut. Up in that bag in the tree, the giant's wife said, I don't see a thing, Molly. It's dark in here. Molly? Molly? "'Molly, Whoopi, answer me! Oh, "'You wicked child, you've tricked me! "'Let me out! Let me out this minute!' "'But Molly could do nothing, "'for at that moment the giant returned from the forest. "'He had found a big stick. "'The stick he carried was an entire oak tree. "'He took that bag down from the tree it was hanging in, "'laid it on the ground, and raised the oak tree over his head.' Inside the bag, his wife cried out, Don't do it, man! It's your wife in here! Don't do it! You'll kill me! But what with the dog barking and the cat in the bag yowling, the giant did not recognize his own wife's voice. Now Molly didn't want harm to come to the giant's wife, so she stepped out from her hiding place. She called out and she made a face at him. The giant looked up and saw Molly Whoopi standing there. He dropped his stick and started to chase her. She ran and he ran. She ran and he ran. Till they came to the bridge of one hair, which Molly could cross, but the giant could not. And on his side of the bridge, the giant shook his fists and stamped his feet and cried, Woe to you, Molly Whoopi! Never you come again! Molly took the ring out of her pocket, put it on her finger, and held it high over her head. She said, Nevermore, churl, will I have to come to Spain. Molly took the ring to the king. He was delighted. And that very day, Molly Whuppy and the youngest prince were married. When it came time, they became king and queen. And they never saw the giant again. The fairy tale sponsor for this week's podcast is Thieves and Rogues University, 
offering job opportunities, fame and riches, or the hangman's news, depending on final grades. Their campuses worldwide, they provide interactive classes, equal opportunity, and negotiable tuition. This is the one university that is honest about robbing you blind. Our next storyteller has been on the podcast before. Now, just to refresh your memory, Claire Murphy is a storyteller who's told stories around the world, including stages like the Globe and the Soho Theatres in London. Claire also performs at festivals, art centres, universities, public and private events, conferences and schools. She's a writer, a consultant, and a teacher of storytelling. She's collaborated with the Royal Shakespeare Company. I think this might be a good place to start a little rumor that maybe, maybe she learned her art from the fairies themselves. The way she spins words around, you can't help but be underneath a little bit of a spell. So this is Claire Murphy and the Pirate Queen of Mayo. I was born in a small fishing village on the eastern coast of Dublin called Hoth, which in Irish is Ben Ader, which means Hill of the Oaks. And as I explained to one of my MCs, what I would do of any given weekend would be to go on walks with my dad or with my mum and my three siblings. And we would walk up to the top of our road, through the alleyway, through the woods, over the golf course to the castle. Because everyone has one of those. (laughs) Uh, Or you'd walk down to the harbour, around to the beach or up the mountain or whatever you were in the mood for. And as you walked, you might find the old dolmen, the megalithic tomb. And you'd tell the story of Aideen's grave, of Fionn McCool's grandson, Oscar, who went off to war and someone sent a false message back that said he was dead and his wife, so bereft and heartbroken, killed herself. Or maybe you'd wander down and you'd hear about the woman in white who walked at night. Or maybe, if you were lucky, when you walked across to the castle, you would remember Grace O'Malley, Grania Whale, the pirate queen of Mayo. Now, Mayo is as far away from Dublin as you can get if you're traveling east to west. It's a good three and a half hours away, (laughs) right? Which the other side of the island, that's far too far away. How does she end up with two streets named after her and a story? Well, you see, the pirate queen of Mayo, Grania Whale, Grace O'Malley, she made her way over to England to parley with the queen, Gronuel was so self-assured and so confident and so herself, this pirate queen, that when her husband and her son were imprisoned, she went to the Queen of England and she presented herself there. And the queen saw her and they conversed in Latin. Because, you see, we didn't speak English, most of us. We mostly spoke Irish, Latin and Greek. So they had to adapt and speak to us in our heathen tongue of Latin. So they had a parley and the queen freed her husband and her son. And she was allowed to go. Apparently she was given a handkerchief by the queen and seeing this lovely piece of cloth, she used it for what it seemed to be good for. (laughs) Which is considered a great insult. And she got on her ship. Well, when she set sail across the Irish Sea, there was a great storm. And her ship was wrecked on the rocks of Hoth Harbour, my village. And this is back in the 1500s. Now, in those days, there was a law of hospitality. One wanted you to be hospitable by nature, but there was also a law in place, just in case you forgot. 
So the local landlord had to always leave the gates open on the castle. And there had to always be an extra place set for dinner, just in case a good friend would drop by. So Grace O'Malley, Grainne Wales, she got off the ship, uh, the, the, the remnants of it, the little boards that were smattered, and she climbed up the rocks and she made her way up through the village, down along the path towards the castle gates. Well, the gates were locked. Bad sign. But she's a pirate queen, so she just scrambled over them. Went up the rest of the road up to the, the castle, which is really nothing more than a great house. You know, didn't have all the turrets and whatnot. Made her way up to the door and... And a butler answered it. Yes. And she said, Dear Gwitch, uh, just uh, my boat got wrecked on the rocks there, so uh, I couldn't help but notice the great house. You must have a place set for dinner. I'll skip the dinner. Just give me my bed and you can give me breakfast in the morning. And the butler said, Oh, I, I don't know. I shall have to check with the lord of the house and see if he's in and if there's any room for you. We have a lot of guests. And he went away. And he was only stalling. He didn't even go and talk to the Lord. He simply came back a few minutes later to tell her there was no room. Only when he got there, she was gone. And he was delighted not to have to deal with such riffraff. But as he went to close the door, it got stuck. And he looked and there was a dagger stuck into the door with a little piece of paper and a note which said, I have taken your most prized possession." I will return it in a year and a day if you obey the laws of hospitality. Leave your gate open and always set an extra place for dinner. And the butler removed the dagger and he searched the house. He counted all of the candlesticks and the mirrors and the paintings and all the gold and the silver and even the the cutlery and everything was there. It It was an idle threat. It wasn't until the family got up the next morning and the oldest son didn't come down for breakfast that they realized what she had taken. They sent word out, but they couldn't find her. And she kept the son of that great house with her for a year and a day. For a year and a day, she trained him to be a pirate. And finally, she came back to Hoth, to my little village. And when she got there, the gates were wide open. And she rode up on the horse. And the son was on a horse. And when they got to the house, he was made welcome. And they showed her. There was the great table. And there was the extra place. And when I heard the story 450 years later, the gates were still open. And they say, if you go there, there's still an extra place at the dinner table. Thank you for listening to the Story Story Podcast. Show notes and more information about the storytellers you heard today can be found at storystorypodcast.com forward slash episode five. Show the love. Find Megan and Claire on Facebook and tell them you heard them on the podcast and now want to hear them tell more stories. Do you like what you are hearing? Would you like a little bit more? As a supporter of the podcast, you can get an extra story per podcast and behind the scenes news. You can become a monthly sponsor for as little as $4 through Patreon, and that'll help keep the stories coming. Or you're welcome to do a one-time donation. Both options are found at the Story Story Podcast and will help the podcast grow from a little sprout into a worldwide audience. If you'd like to stay connected or offer feedback, you can find me and the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, or join the mailing list. 
You can leave a rating and a comment on iTunes or however else you listen to podcasts. Let us know your favorite story you heard on the podcast or the favorite stories of your childhood. Who knows? Maybe you'll hear them here soon. I hope you join me for the next podcast in a few weeks. And until then, I hope you live happily ever after.